Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And I'm Chad, uh, covering for Jeff today, who couldn't make it to Phoenix for some unknown reason. Well, you know, some of the stuff that he's been doing back at home, you know. Skunk work stuff. Exactly. Too important to be here right now. That's why he smells. That's what I heard. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, with us today, we have Bill Bittner, head of uh, customer focus and experience for ZVM. That's correct. High Emperor. High Emperor of ZVM? (laughs) The other business card? Team lead. I have a lot of nicknames, but we don't have time to get into all of those. We'll go with those. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, welcome. It's good to be here. I am looking forward to this and um, a long-time listener, first-time speaker. There you go. We love it. So let's start. Um, I know we, we've had Romney on before, but that was a long time ago, and people probably have forgotten. What is VM, and where does it come from? <laughs> okay, so so ZVM is uh, the premier hypervisor for the mainframe. Um, its primary role is to virtualize the hardware. Right, so we create virtual machines, which you can run anything in that you can run on regular hardware. Right. Um, so that's primarily our job, to, to virtualize the hardware and share the resources uh, to a large extent. So I come from, so I come from a, a non-mainframe background prior to my maybe 10-plus years of mainframe. And so when I think of that, I think of hypervisors like uh, VMware's like ESXi, Hyper-V, VirtualBox, those kinds of things. So I realize it's on a different scale and a different architecture, but you are in that space, right? Right. And right. so for the people out there listening – I think it'd be important just to punctuate who was there first. Uh, that would be VM. VM. So yeah, when, VM, yes. when everybody's got their virtual box machine up and running and they think it's the coolest thing, and oh my goodness, have you seen VMware? You're looking at that going, yeah, that's cute. We've been doing that for how many years? <laughs> right. Uh, I can recall somewhere after 2000, even IBM read a, uh, ran a large ad about uh, IBM finds way to make one machine look like hundreds and thousands. And I oh, land, this is really cool. And I start reading it, and it's VM. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, we've been around and we've been doing it. Um, and I think what's interesting from that perspective is what we've run on top of the platform has changed over the years. Uh, and we've been able to adjust to those different kind of, of environments um, and sort of the demographics of the virtual machines that have been running over the years. So, so what kinds of things can you run? Can you run, for instance, like all of the Z-based operating systems and any what, – what else? Yeah, so, so the um, operating systems that can run on the Z platform today can run on top of ZVM as well, um, including ZVM itself. All right. Whoa. Um, yeah, so we have recursive uh, virtualization <laughs> there. Yeah. yeah, it's just another turtle. There's it's, always another turtle. Turtles all the way down. <laughs> yes. <Yep>. The uh, – <laughs> The most I've ever seen was a tester with some time on his hands that ran about nine levels <laughs> of, of uh, VM on top of Somebody had to know. Yeah, somebody. I, now, I, I've heard tell that there's more than that that some people have run, but I've not witnessed that, so I, I can't attest to that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So all the Z stuff and then anything else outside of the Z stuff? Uh, primarily that. Now, there's some people that have done some things where uh, you can run an emulator on top of Linux and so they'll bring some code and do that on Linux on top of ZVM. But, but no, we just virtualize um, the, the architecture primarily. Uh, and, and to some degree, that's something that's different from some of the other virtualization solutions in that we really um, look at, at one of our primary design principles is being faithful to that architecture, right? And so we replicate it with a, a high level of integrity, right? Uh, the idea that... Um, 
whatever you run and, and the way things behave on a real machine should behave the same way in, in ZVM, right? Um, and, and that's interesting, I think, when you look at how robust our architecture is. I think it's, I'm biased, obviously, but it, it's a, a very well-defined architecture, right? And all of our machines, when they go out the door, the hardware, there's a set of tests that is run on them to validate that architecture. We take those same tests and we put them on top of ZVM and they have to get the same answers, right? Um, but that gives us different benefits in terms of uh, forward compatibility, uh, things of that nature. There's also times where um, vendors will certify uh, code running on a virtualized environment like ZVM uh, perhaps more quickly than they would elsewhere because of this faithfulness of the architecture. They, they know that things aren't going to behave really weirdly virtualized on ZVM as they, they would elsewhere. Right? So, so does an operating system running on VM know it's running on VM? And if so, at, at what level? Like where is that obfuscated? Yeah, so, so it, it can determine that based on, on certain things that, again, are in the architecture in terms of, of what's passed up to operating systems and so forth. So some of the low-level memory stuff, like PSA stuff, it can see if it's running on actual hardware. Right, right. issuing um, different requests to know what's going on on the layers beneath them, right? Uh, now, some operating systems will uh, take advantage of that, so there are some things that we've done over the years for handshaking and so forth. Uh, which is, is pretty kind of neat. That's one of the things, too, that's helpful when the stack is IBM, right? So IBMs are talking to IBMers. You know, not that that couldn't be implemented elsewhere in the industry, but it's just a little bit easier when everybody has the same badge on. So a lot of these things are generated from the lunchroom in Endicott where you guys are sitting around <laughs> going, hey, I could do that. You, you could do that, too? We should, that, should, that should be a product, right? Uh, there's a lot of uh, communication like that now, and it's neat that um, it's not just in Endicott, right? So, so that's where we're, we're based from a ZVM perspective, uh, but we have a small part of our team in Poughkeepsie, another part in um, in Boblig in Germany, uh, and then some remote people. And, and so that's kind of nice because we do have that collaboration with the different labs and so forth. Um, I guess one example might be um, in a Linux environment, so Linux that, that runs on, on ZVM or Z in general, uh, for ZVM we have a number of things that do handshaking, right? So if Linux is running along and it has a process that references memory that's not resident at the ZVM level, right? So we're going to take a page fault, have to page that in. Well, ZVM and Linux, the kernel, will, will handshake. And we'll say, you know what? We'll handle that page fault asynchronously for you. Why don't you go and dispatch another process, and, and we'll give you a special interrupt when that original uh, page fault's complete. So there's a lot of little things like that that we've done over the years to make things more efficient and so forth. Now, that's not necessary, right? Um, but those are the things that, that we do. So I can run an awful lot of um, guests on top of VM concurrently, right? R right. So uh, one of the questions I often get is, well, how many guests can I run? Right. right. How many do you want to run? Right. <laughs> is, is that um, – or um, one of our, our favorite customers will often answer that question with, I don't, I don't know, how many rocks can you carry? Because <laughs> right. um, it's interesting in our environment, right. you, you get um, – you know, maybe some WebSphere workloads where maybe the guests are four gig, um, and then maybe a large database that's 100, 200 gig in, in size, right? And, and so a lot of that's going to depend. Um, from a design point, we, we talk about 100,000 virtual machines um, is kind of where we stop. I, I don't have customers hitting that yet, um, you know, knock on wood, that's, that's but, good. Um, but the capability is there. Right? So, so what, what do you do? 
um, to get that kind of density. Why, why can't I get that kind of density on, say, VMware? There's a, a number of things that factor in there. Um, probably part of the heart of it is, again, back to that IBM stack, right? So from an architecture and firmware perspective, um, the heart of virtualization that I often look at is the SI instruction. So start interpretive execution, right? Um, and it, it's basically an instruction that allows us to dispatch a virtual CPU. Um, actually, Prism or LPAR uses the, the same um, instruction uh, at its level. Right. Um, and it's not an instruction where, like, we were paging through the principle of operations one day and said, hey, what's this? Can we use it? Right. <laughs> but, uh, but I do that. People do that, right? You're like, I've never done this instruction. Let's yeah, see if let's, we can get that one to go. Let's play with this one now. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the teams in collaboration um, have this, this sign instruction and things around it that really lead to a lot of efficiency. Um, on top of that, there's things... Um, I believe you've had people here talk about hyper-dispatch and things like that. So there's a flavor of that in ZVM where we're aware of the topology and, and what we're dispatching uh, and able to address that as well. Uh, so a lot of different things like that, tricks of the trade. So just, just for people listening that might not know, you mentioned PRISM, even though it's maybe not your backyard. Can you just explain what PRISM is? So, so think of virtualization at the ZVM or at, at the IBM Z flavor as having two layers of that. Right. So a lot of people are familiar with logical partitions. Right. And that's managed by what some people call LPAR code or, or some people refer to it as prism. Right. Right. Um, if you go back far enough in time, that code and the VM code were more similar than they are today. Right. Right. Um, and so the way I often look at it is, is prism provides a first layer of virtualization where the focus is primarily on isolation um, and performance. And the ZVM layer of virtualization is a lot more on uh, flexibility and leveraging resources to, to the um, nth degree. Right. Thanks. Yeah, we used, to, we used to use VM to test MVS, right? I mean, that was the original intent for having it was, hey, we want uh, MVS to take care of hardware that doesn't actually exist yet. So we would kind of fake it out in VM, right? Right. So there's a, um, a special flavor of ZVM that we use internally um, that does a lot of very cool things. Um, often some of the things that are going into the hardware, we'll put into that first, right? So, so that the ZOS and other folks, other operating systems can get a head start on some of that, right? Um, also has a great deal more flexibility in terms of, of problem determination and debug, um, some really cool things there as well. So, uh, yeah, internally, if, if folks love ZOS, they should love ZVM because uh, that's part of what helps <laughs> it, it get developed and tested. Every time I do one of these, I find out about another one of these cool toys that you guys have <laughs> that you never get to play with in the outside world. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you can emulate some piece of hardware's interface so that an operating system, for instance, can start planning for that and VM will just sort of make the calls back and emulate it. Right, exactly. And, and some of that goes back to um, this idea on IBM Z of, of having a robust, well-defined architecture, right? So given that, we can start to implement that in this internal VM uh, ahead of time, right, before any hardware is in, involved um, and does give a leg up on, on different things. And, again, that's part of the, the IBM team being able to approach things that way. So you talked about Psy. And, and the importance of that in this. What's something else that's like 
really cool about VM that you don't see anywhere else? Okay. Uh, well, what first popped into mind uh, was pageable page tables. All right. So um, if you're familiar with dynamic address translation and so forth, there's a set of tables that you traverse and so forth. And um, in IBM Z, the lowest level, that's referred to as page tables. Well, the page tables that represent the virtual machine's uh, memory, so to speak, uh, will actually page them out uh, if they're not really in use and so forth. So on other platforms, perhaps, where the virtualization doesn't have those sorts of things, there's a, a bigger penalty for having a virtual machine that's there but not doing anything. Right, because it ends up consuming real memory uh, of the host. So this is one of our, our little tricks of, of getting around that, right? And again, helps with the how many virtual machines can we support? You know, some of it depends on, on uh, how active they are and so forth. Uh, so it'll factor in things like that. So uh, one of the things that uh, I haven't really played with VM in a long time, but one of the things that I remember uh, was that in addition to uh, VM itself, I had like 20 or so virtual uh, guests that were service machines, right? And they, they kind of handled all this stuff. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that started and what that is? And Sure. So uh, another component of the ZVM product itself is something called CMS or, or a conversational monitor system is what it stands for now. And, and um I think of that as a, a single user operating system, right? And so a lot of systems management type uh, extensions to the system are implemented in a CMS virtual machine, right? So we have a uh, shared file system server that, that runs there. We have a directory management product that, that works there. Um, so a number of, of things of, of that space. Um, we even in some cases, um, a good example may be our, our MP route server, Right, so that runs in a virtual machine. That's actually code that we've taken from ZOS, ported over to run in that CMS. We sort of have, have Cradle code that um, simulates some of the ZOS calls and so forth and allows that to run there. And so we, we get sort of that extension uh, of, of the system that way. Um, so when people run uh, ZVM in their site, they have a lot of those those service machines running, right? I mean, that's kind of the standard way of of managing the system, right? Right. There, there's typically maybe a, a dozen or so or two dozen virtual machines that are running on the side, doing the, those sorts of activities and so forth. Now, in many cases, some of our newer customers, you know, see them there, see the results of them being there, right? They know they have a router and, and things like that, uh, but they won't necessarily be logging on and looking at them or, or dealing with that other than, you know, at install time. So, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility from that perspective. So I, I just set it up, and I really never think about it again. That's that's the, the plan and the goal, yes. <laughs> so, so when I think about some of these other hypervisors, like some of the more modern ones, one of the one of the things that's always fascinating to me is how they handle networking, right? And so you have sort of software-defined networks, um, this idea of switches and routers and all these other kinds of things that you can do right in there and share between the guests and do that. So to what degree does VM do that, and how does that work within VM? Yeah, that that's um, that could be a long session in and of itself. <laughs> but, well, we've only got two days, so keep it short. Let me roll the sleeves. So, again, with the architecture and the way we virtualize that, um, we can dedicate network resources to a guest. So, so OSA or what other people would think of as a network interface card, a physical card, um, we can assign that to guests, right? And they can use that on their own just like they, they would if they were running without ZVM. 
but what a lot of our customers more commonly do is use what we call a virtual switch. Um, not a really clever name, but yeah, <laughs> it, it is what it is. It gives a good idea what it does. Yeah, what that's it does. pretty cool. Right. And so what that allows is, uh, for example, Linux guests, they can all have virtual NICs that are attached to this vSwitch. And ZVM itself is going to manage the OSA uh, and everything from that perspective. Right. We can do link aggregation over that so we can have multiple OSAs uh, and, and have that aggregate bandwidth managed by that. Um, and so it's another one of those spaces of economies of scale. Right. I might have some virtual machines that really need a, a full OSA's worth of bandwidth some part of the day, but I don't want to buy a separate OSA for every one of my, my virtual machines. Right. So we can do some things like that. Um, the past couple of years, we've expanded that uh, to where we have what we call our global vSwitch. Right, so this is the idea of I can have uh, multiple ZVM partitions running on on a, a given server, and have those OSAs shared across those different ZVM systems uh, with vSwitches running on them, and do link aggregation across that. Um, so it, it's great from a again economy of scale and the efficiency of that, but it also um, lends itself to help in availability. Right, so if very, very rare, right? But if there's a problem with an OSA or something, not a problem. We'll automatically fail Someone over under the covers. Someone kicks a cable, Someone basically. Someone kicks a cable, yeah. right. Um, so, so good things <laughs> like, like that, right? Um, and that's all transparent to the guests, right? So um, the Linuxes that are running there, they just keep working with those virtual NICs, and you don't have to, to mess with that, right? So um, that's people time uh, and makes it a lot easier, uh, helps the TCO story for, for the whole picture. And from a Linux point of view... They just see a nick like they would manage right. it any other way. Right, exactly. Well, and a lot of a lot of the uh, clients that I've worked with uh, in the past like that because I don't have to go talking to the network guy every time I want to add a new server or set of servers. I have my my connection out, and I can actually manage an entire environment right within my my box, and right. it's, it makes things a lot easier. Right, as I'm trying to stand up uh, new sets of infrastructure. Sure. Then I imagine intra-guest communication, that's all happening at bus speeds then too, right? You're... Right. It can be. Now, um, we have some, some capability in there too for those that might be more security conscious and for some reason want to run things out um, to a firewall outside or, or whatever. We can do some port isolation and some things like that. Um, we also support uh, you know, IEEE VLANs across that and things like that. So uh, again, it, it's um, what do you need and what do you want not, to do? Not right. just one big broadcast domain. Right. right? ZVM, <laughs> right. we've got options. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So um, not not to make you feel bad or anything, but you've, you've been doing this a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, it's coming up on 34 years now. Um, and uh, I've been privileged to have it all in ZVM other than I think a – a brief stint doing some competitive evaluation, uh, but all, all VM and, and um, it, it's been a home for me, really, and, and a family of the people I work with, and and probably as much so the the customers. Um, so that, that's been pretty pretty valuable to me. Yeah, I've noticed as I've gone around the world of different customers, and you probably noticed this too, Frank. Like you know, the Z community is a tight knit community. There's a good chance if you don't know somebody, like you're one only one degree. You know, Kevin Bacon be down right, <laughs> right. one degree away. But the ZVM community makes that look like 
you know, like it's the the phone book, right? I mean, they're they're just <laughs> it is a very tight knit community. Like you all literally know each other. It is a very and it's really cool, right? I mean, right. Uh, I've seen that work out, and people can just pick up the phone and say, "Yeah, I know so and so does ZVM at this bank or whatever." Right. That's who we want to talk to. Yeah, and it's um, very beneficial that that two way communication and, and knowing people. You know, there's definitely times where. Um, customers have come to me and said, well, Bill, I, I, I want your opinion on this, uh, you know, uh, and because they've known me for so long that they'll know, you know, my background and, and credentials from that perspective. Um, and at the same time, because of that relationship, um, they're open to tell me, you know, Bill, that was a mistake. Um, you know, what IBM did there probably wasn't the best thing, right? Um, and as long as we take that as good feedback, and that's part of my job, right? Um, I joke about I represent the product to the field and then the field to the product, yeah. right? So I, I try to sit in all the design meetings and, and things like that. I don't code or anything, thank goodness. But uh, <laughs> Well, I'd like to, not to embarrass you or anything, but um, it's very rare to see somebody who has spent a significant part of their career doing very technical things, but then also spend a big part of their career kind of doing very customer-facing things, right? You, you tend to be one or the other. First of all, how long did you do that development technical stuff, and then how long have you been doing the customer-facing stuff? Yeah, so the first 25 years of my career was in uh, ZBM performance evaluation, um, and then they were looking for all the labs to have this this new role. Um, I think they called it inside out at the time, which I still don't know what that really means. <laughs> um, and kind of scared me at first when I heard. Yeah, as well it should. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> and some of that was a natural transition in terms of of performance. There's a lot of questions there at times of how big a machine do I need? Um, how many virtual machines can I run in this environment? Occasionally, expectations get set that don't get met, <laughs> and you need to help people understand uh, what, what happened there. Are and, you trying to say that salespeople are not always entirely upfront with the client? I'm making uh, my incredulous face right now. <laughs> no, I was allowing you to say that. <laughs> and that's terminal talk, folks. <laughs> it was a good run. It was a good run. It was a good Brought run. Brought to you by your local IBM salespeople. <laughs> So um, how was it making that transition? I mean, how hard was it to go from, you know, very logical, straightforward, you know, technical stuff to working with clients? Um, it was weird <laughs> um, and scary in ways because I'd been doing something for 25 years. Like, okay, let's do something different. I, that's not me, right? <laughs> um, but at, at the same time, I, I think, because I'd built that reputation with customers, um, I wasn't scared about doing more with them. And in fact, in some ways, I uh, was embracing that and looking forward to it. Right? And it, um, from a management perspective and things like that, they really gave me some um, some rope, some, some leash there uh, to, to create what I, I wanted to do with that. Um, and I think to a large degree, the technical aspects of my background – um, and my client engagement aspects, one makes me better at the other and, and vice versa. Um, and, and it's just been incredibly valuable from that perspective. You know, when, when you have some technical background, uh, having the credibility with the clients and so forth from that perspective, 
but also being able to ask the right questions of clients and things like that to, to get at the root of the problems is, is really important too. Yeah, it's it's hard to find um, good technical people that are also good at listening. Um, so it's, it's one thing to ask the question. It's another to actually listen to the, the customer and understand what they're what they're going through so and part of it i i've made a number of mistakes over the years <laughs> how we learned, learned uh, the hard way about uh, just communication and, and different things like that so yeah. what's your favorite when, when people say what's your favorite part of vm what, what's the thing that, that you were so uh well because of my background in performance for so long um, I think the efficiency of it um, and the fact that it's so well instrumented. Um, you know, we, we joke about uh, one of the values of ZVM is consolidation, right? So we have a hundred, hundreds of, of Linux servers out there running on discrete boxes. We're going to pick them up and drop them down on it. Um, and when you look at the TCOs, you'll talk about, well, on average, how busy are those discrete servers? And you'll hear numbers like 20%, 15%. Well, I joke that they're always round numbers. So I think somebody's making them up. But with ZVM, we can measure exactly, you know, how much processor resources and memory and so forth are being consumed by these virtual machines. And we can do it without, you know, messing with the virtual machines themselves. Right? And so I think that's really powerful um, and allows us to do some great problem determination, you know, sizing, all, all of that stuff. And being a Z product, I assume that you can run in the 60, 70, 80% range without breaking a sweat. Like, I mean, they're meant, all the Z products I've ever seen are happy, happy to run in the 90 percentile. And everybody's like, yeah, that's, it just does that. If you had a <laughs> Linux box doing that, right, you'd be immediately getting a bigger box. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and um, even in those cases where you do start to reach those limits, you can start to look through data to say, all right, you know what? What's going on with this virtual machine here? Why is it running as busy as it is? Um, and we'll sort of do a divide and conquer and say, all right, well, it's not in VM. It's somewhere inside the guest. Okay. Um, it's not the kernel of the guest. It's this one. Whoa, what is this application here? <laughs> right. And so as opposed to just perhaps throwing hardware at the problem, right, that might be done elsewhere, we, we can do some problem determination there. Um, and then with... Um, all the things that Z provides, you know, maybe I can bring dynamic resources in, right? That's part of what uh, we try to do with ZVM too is uh, pretty much all the resources we can add in on the fly, right, and keep that availability up and so forth. Cool. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, uh, memory over committing and CPU over committing? Because I think that's a big part of why I can have a bunch of these things Kind of running simultaneously because I don't have to follow some of the strict rules um, that we see other places. Right. So we do focus on that. I mean, that's another one of the design principles we have is how much can we leverage and overcommit resources? Um, now, the, the tough part there is everybody wants a number, right? <laughs> uh, just tell me what the number is. And sometimes if I give the number, they'll say, well, you know, Bittner's kind of conservative. Maybe I'll double that number. Right? And, <laughs> the Bittner so, rule, right. times two plus one. Right. Um, but from a memory perspective, some of it depends on, on um, various criteria, right? Uh, probably a good example there is, is how people have their SLAs written. You know, I worked with one client where the SLA was all transactions will be sub-second. 
<laughs> and so we go through millions of transactions a day, sub-second. Uh, one of the first transactions in the morning for this one particular app was seven seconds. Um, partly because overnight, that virtual machine would be paged down. Um, and so in the morning, that just that first transaction out of a couple million a day uh, was that. Um, and so that's one where if the SLA is more written like 99% of the transactions will be sub-second, uh, you'll have more wiggle room for, for those sorts of things. Um, but that's also part of, of the flexibility of the system. I can uh, identify virtual machines that I don't want to see page, and I can reserve memory for them. Now, you know, it, it's sort of like tax season. You know, somebody else is probably going to have to pay more if that's the case, right? Right. Let's let's do a cute little thought experiment here. Uh, cute for you or cute for me? I don't know. Uh, yes. Cute for you. <laughs> so um, uh, Ginny comes by, gives you a bucket of money, and says, do whatever you want. <laughs> what would you do? Head down to the Pipsy Airport <laughs> with a bag full of money. <laughs> get on a one-way ticket to someplace warm. That is a cute thought experience. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the areas where we could use improvement the most is from an ease of manageability and so forth. Right? Um, you know, we have great products and they work, but they're not always as intuitive or – um, as attractive as some of the newer folks in the industry, right? The learning uh, curve is uh, steep. Right. Yeah, right? We, we, we've talked a lot about that with clients recently that um, – and I kind of joke about it, Part of the learning curve factor is there's so much capability in the product, you got to learn it, right, if you really want to get full benefit out of it. Um, the other thing is, like you say, Chad, the, the idea of um, – you have to know enough fundamentals before you can really be self-sufficient. Um, and that's one of the things that, that I've been getting a lot of feedback on, and we're looking for ways of, of shortening that, that curve so you don't have to be on the, the, the product for two years before you can start learning on your own kind of thing. But I'll make the argument that, you know, just coming from a perspective of somebody who didn't grow up on the mainframe, you find somebody who does Windows administration, Linux administration, ESXi administration, Cisco router administration well, and they will have that level of depth of knowledge that a good ZVM administrator would have for their product. And while any of them, I was, we were talking before this started about how I, I was able to set ZVM up and get one guest up and running. That was my first exposure to it. Right. That was a fairly high learning curve, but I, you know, I probably only had to learn a dozen commands to get that to work. Um, but I know to make it do all the things we've just talked about would take me years, but I would say the same thing about if I were setting up a complicated Cisco network or ESXi, you know, anybody worth their salt in these things, that you, you can't simplify it to the point where anybody could just walk in and do it. There's a fine line in there. It's maybe making it more approachable or right. more available for people to learn on, you know, um, something that they can get their hands on and play with. But I think the complexity of it, and all the things it, it does is, is always going to be a factor, right, as with anything. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, we're talking about learning curves. The learning curve for somebody to VM I don't think is as steep as if you're starting with ZOS, right? right. Because a lot of the concepts are similar enough to what they're used to. Um, right. Yeah, you still have to learn a little bit about mini disks and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but, but that curve – 
is not so immediately steep. Right. It, it was interesting. One of our clients spoke at a, an event and somebody asked him, well, how did you deal with the skills problem? And they're just like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> um, and so in the dialogue, they said, well, we have people that are eager to learn. Um, and it really struck me that, yeah, I mean, if you're eager to learn, ZVM is not a problem. <laughs> um, and if you're not eager to learn, IT may not be the industry for you. Right. <laughs> so. Amen. Yeah, but um, I, you don't start out learning the, the Diag command, right? right. You, you start out with some of the simple stuff. Certainly, if you're running CMS, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy, straightforward starting point. I create files the way I would expect. You know, I guess I just, I, you still exit it? Exit it, yep. I exit it. I create the file name yep. right there, and I'm, right. I'm ready to go. Right. So it, it seems to me that I can get around pretty far on VM with what you knew from Windows, really. Right. You know, the, it's a different editor, right? But you can learn that in, you know, a long afternoon, perhaps, yes. right? Correct. Um, and, and we have been doing things. Um, IBM Wave is a product that we ha- have out there um, that allows some some easier manageability, right? Like we talked about vSwitch earlier. You don't have to memorize the vSwitch syntax, right? You know, with, with Wave, you do a few clicks and you can define a, a vSwitch that way, right? And so we're, we're trying to address those things. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. a, I'm a, I'm kind of a, I, I always am contrarian in this because you know you've got like, for instance, Z, ZOSMF. Just take that as an example. You know, I find I'm way slower doing things in that than I am if I spent the time to learn how to do the underlying commands and configure the under. Now it's more approachable and somebody might, who has to do one thing or two things might use that. Mm -hmm. But the person who's doing it on a day in and day out basis, they're going to always default back to what is the quickest, easiest. But, but that's every platform. That's every platform. So I think it's, it's, you find a balance between making it approachable, easier to configure, but like not throwing the whole thing into one big Tomcat instance. (laughs) Right. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. From that. Uh, the, the other aspect of that that um, – remember how I told us customers sometimes tell us we do things wrong, mm-hmm. right, um, is the concept of not making it easier to screw up the system. Right. Right. Um, and, and so sometimes some of the other approaches that, okay, it will be really easy to do this, yeah, it's just easier to, to change things that you don't know what you're doing. Right. Because you add complexity – you know, ironically, right? You add complexity to make it easier. You also add a whole bunch of security concerns right. and so on and so forth. Funny that you bring that up. Funny that I bring that up. <laughs> yeah. So I know we're getting close. I've got I've got one last question for him. Okay, guys. You did you did mention uh, Bill that you were that you were running the the premier hypervisor. Does that does that imply that there are other hypervisors or I've heard there are other hypervisors. <laughs> really, I've never heard of another one, but there is yeah. there are other ones. So, so a- actually, on on <laughs> on Z, uh, we have something KVM. There is a, a flavor of KVM that runs there. That's an open source hypervisor. You can run on lots of other platforms. And I first heard about that. I think about the Linux one-ish kind of time. Is that about right? So, so the um, we've changed our strategy slightly there. At one time, there was actually a product from IBM. Uh, it was a KVM product. Right, based on feedback and so forth, what we've moved to is more the model that we do for our, our Linux in general, where we still drop code and modifications to it to open source, but then the distribution partners will package that and deliver it. Sure. And it, it, it's funny, I always get questions about, well, you know, are, uh, how's the KVM and ZVM relationship and, and stuff like that? And I sometimes joke about, 
Um, I'm one of three sons and, and a, a sister. Right? <laughs> this um, is going to be good. And, and there was always questions about um, you know who did mom and dad love the best. best. And, right. and I remember I, I was also the youngest of the boys. And the olders uh, had to take me along from time to time. And I'm not really sure they were convinced that was a good <laughs> idea. Um, but when I look back, I think we both, uh, we all three grew up. Um, to be responsible adults, and we learn from one another and so forth. And there was room for for all of us for, for the different roles we ended up playing. So in this analogy, are you the older brother in KVM? <laughs> is the, should we take this all the way down to its spread? Or maybe this is a good time to just well, pass on that one. All analogies break down at some point. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> Very good. But it's good. it is good to have some diversity and uh, some ability to look at things another way and have a whole other kind of set of doing this the same thing but a different way. I imagine that there are things to be learned from each other. Right. And we actually have people in Endicott that are also working on KVM. And, and you know, Boblingen has KVM and ZVM folks as well. And, and there's different crossover, right? Because understanding the architecture, again, that, that's a key part of this. Um, and there are different kind of uh, strengths of each. Um, and I don't think that diminishes. In fact, in some ways, I think it improves the portfolio overall, right? Cool. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're... We're actually beyond the bottom of the hour on this. We've done it again. <laughs> Once again, I'm going to get in trouble for being over. So yes. what can I say? <laughs> Sorry. So I just want to uh, thanks a lot, Bill, for coming in and spending this time with us. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. This Absolutely. It's really awesome. I learned a ton. Loving it. Thank you very much. Great. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Chad. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.